tattoos are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Hey, I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, my podcast, where I am talking to creative people, artists, activists. Do you hear that? I I was thinking about this last week about just how fucking intense that activists is. I've been trained to pronounce that that last well, I guess it's pronouncing the T, because normally I would be like artists, activists, which there's no T's at the ends of those words. But here I am trying to sound professional. So I'm saying artists and activists. And I don't even know if that is going to translate or if that's going to pop so much on the mic that I'm going to have to cut it out. But I am here in my home in quarantine, clearly keeping sane and talking to people who are interesting about how they see the afterlife. Do they see the afterlife? Do they believe in it? How do they want to leave people when they die? What are moments that have felt like deaths in their lives? These are all the questions I will ask and more. Today's guest is Jasmine Henry Jordan. Jasmine is a writer, performer, uh, two-minute playwright, I guess, performance artist with the Neo-Futurists. You hear it again? Neo-Futurists. <laughs> and so... I've been in Chicago for almost 20 years, and even back then, when I first got here, there was a show called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. It was the Neo-Futurists flagship show, and now it's called The Infinite Wrench. There's a bunch of legal and like drama stuff, which you can Google yourself. It's not, it's not interesting to me at this point in the game. What is interesting is that the Neo-Futurists are this insane theater company that puts on a party show of 30 two-minute plays done in an hour that is timed, it is treated like a sport practically, and it is the only performance art I can think of, I'm sure there's other examples, it's the only performance art I can think of that is populist. People show out to this fucking show. So if you are in Chicago, if you get a chance to come to Chicago, go see The Infinite Wrench at the Neo-Futurists, their theater, the Neo-Futurarium. Also, The Infinite Wrench is on Patreon. It's, I think, I believe the name of the Patreon is The Infinite Wrench Goes Viral. And Jasmine is a cast member which means she is churning out these two-minute plays week after week after week. And she always does work that is vulnerable, that is thought-provoking. And so I was very excited to have her on the podcast. And I reconnected, I won't say rediscovered, but reconnected, or I guess, I guess it is rediscovered, and then connected for the first time with the Neo-Futurists as a performer after I came back from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The first year I went, you know, I brought my first one-man show, Dave Marcoma show there, which felt like a watershed moment for me to kind of, you know, having done improv and then stand up for so long, having transitioned into this more amorphous world of a one-man show vibe that's not just jokes, 
but it's not just a story and where does it fit? And I went to Edinburgh and I was, my eyes were filled with all sorts of amazing art that felt like it was crowding this lane that I had just discovered. And so one of my mantras after going to Edinburgh was make Chicago Edinburgh again, which it never was Edinburgh. I was just being catchy in my mind with the worst slogan in modern times as my template. But I wanted to make Chicago like Edinburgh. You know, I'm used to like not going out or or not wanting to go out. If someone's like, hey, do you want to do this thing? No matter what it is, how incredible. My first instinctive response is like, no, fuck that. It's like, what? Well, the only reason you got to see so much amazing stuff in Edinburgh was because you took a chance. And I saw a show called Tangles and Plaques at the Neo-Futurists, which is this mind-bending show about fucking Alzheimer's and dementia written by the current artistic director of the Neo-Futurists, Kirsten Ribeir. And the show is incredible. And it made me remember, oh, yes, God, the Neo-Futurists, this group is fucking amazing. They make work that is these bite-sized plays. I mean, they're bits. I mean, they're like personally revealing, semi-sometimes narrative, but always playing themselves on stage. I was like, this is the work I want to be doing, want to be around. I took classes there. I had a very small bit part in a show called Remember the Alamo. And I, my part, only about seven people per show saw my part, but occasionally audience members would get temporarily killed, which means they were brought out of the theater and interacted with me. I played death and I'm just there kind of playing what my partner likes to call creepy spa music, which is basically like the weird slow dive album. And I'm there and I'm kind of asking evocative questions about what do you think death is? What do you think the afterlife is? So I don't know, maybe in some ways that was the first iteration of this is your afterlife. Anyway, I will let Jasmine introduce herself to you even more. Please enjoy my interview with Jasmine Henry Jordan. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like... I'd like you to introduce yourself to me in three separate scenarios. Scenario one is you are talking to a stranger in a rideshare. Scenario two is you're meeting a potential new friend at a party. And scenario three is St. Peter... Christian gates of heaven. And he's saying, you know, we have a lot of Jasmine Henry Jordans. It's Henry, right? It's not like. It okay. is Henry. Yeah. Cause it looks French. It looks like Henry, but it's short for Henrietta. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. So he's there and he's like, we still have a lot of Jasmine Henrietta Jordans. Can you be a little bit more specific? Help me remember who you are. In the ride share, I'd say, Oh, I'm Jasmine. Um, I'm a performer and a writer. Uh, my money job, because in ride shares, I feel like people always ask you what your money job is after you say that. Um, my money job is working for an after school program. So you're like willing to engage in a ride share? Yeah. I mean, willing to engage in a ride share to an extent. In a ride share, when someone asks me about the art that I make, I always tell them that I do improv because it's easier to explain <laughs> than neo-futurism or devising. So at a party? At a party. At a party, I'd say, I guess I'd be pretty close to a rideshare. 
even someone you're like excited about, they're like, oh my God, you, you're a, you're a writer and performer. Yeah, I guess I, I would probably explain what the show is that I do most often, The Infinite Wrench at the Neo Futurist. I, I would be much more likely to go into what that show is. And what if they've, you must have run into people who've like heard of it and think it's kind of a big deal. Right? Um, less often than you'd think. Really? <laughs> like, Trevor tells this story one time of, like, when he started, uh, Trevor Dawkins, when he started with the Neo Futurists, like, someone being like, oh my god, t- tell this person that they love theater. Tell this person, like, what you are. And he was, like, like very humble. Like, oh, I'm, I'm a Neo Futurist. The person goes, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So I'd say, yeah, at a party, I'd say I'm a neo futurist. I write and I perform. I'd probably end up being like, I'm a, I'm a Gemini, Virgo, Moon, Virgo <laughs> rising. If that means anything to you, and usually a party that I'm at, that like the queer representation is high enough that that would mean something to them. Do you associate astrology with queerness? Oh, for sure. Why? Oh, I, I mean, I think like, I don't know, maybe, maybe me personally, I feel like that if I meet someone, like the Venn diagram is pretty steep, is pretty big in the middle of folks who are queer and folks who are into astrology. It's also, I think that's like part of why I take, I get pretty defensive when people are like, I ain't fuck astrology, I don't care about astrology. I was like, well, statistically speaking, like maybe you're a little homophobic or like you hate women a little bit because like that is like who society thinks of when they think of astrology. That is a very interesting litmus test. Okay. So St. Peter, gates of heaven. Well, I feel like I'd still be like making my case to get into heaven. So I'd be like. Oh, you don't feel confident that you're on the list. Oh, am I am I on the list because I'm at the gates? Or well, I, I'm. It, I think it's interesting that you don't feel confident that you're on the list if you're at the gates. Your your first thoughts are panic. Oh no, what am I going to do last minute to? Oh, I feel like lots of people get to the gates and they love being like. Mm-mm. <laughs> I don't think they love it. I don't think they, they love it. I think it's like I think they everyone... being like the admission committee. Yeah. Admissions okay. is a good way to say it. Um, but I think like, you know, the bouncer and St. Peter are are like, I think everyone has to wait in the super long line. And then you still don't know. I think there's some anticipation there. Okay. I don't so, know. So you get to the front of the line. I get to the front of the line and I'm like, hey, I'm Jasmine. Um, I do. I've done so many good things. I love everyone. I'm so nice to everyone. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a pen pal with black and pink. Um, I, I donate to Planned Parenthood. Like I have monthly, I have monthly donations going to different organizations. And, and, and when a, when a houseless person asks me for money, I always say, I'm sorry, I can't this time. Instead of just ignoring, I'm not mean, I'm not mean, <laughs> you know, like I think that would be my, my angle and then he says yeah no that that's all great is is, are there any blemishes that we might not know about are there any things that you need to come clean about that's a great question i I feel like i don't know 
I, I don't think I could be as cheeky as I am in real life because I'd be like, why, why, why are you pretending you don't know? Like there's, there's footage. Like, what do you want me to say? Mm-hmm. But you I have think, the receipts. Oh, for sure. My partner does that all the time. They'll be like, um, did you spill something in the kitchen and not clean it up? And I'm like, it's just you and me. Who do you think it was? Yeah, of course. Of course it was. Dude, me. I know. And it's like, <laughs> You you try to think of it from you're like okay I think this is coming from a place of they're trying to be non judgmental technically they're open to the fact that maybe they did it or I know for me it's a cat for you it's a turtle okay. somehow maybe okay. did it but it just feels passive aggressive I exactly but it's tough because. If you tell someone they're being passive aggressive, and I sometimes will say that non judgmentally, I'm like, what you did is textbook passive aggression. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's not. I, I didn't mean it that way. And you're like, that's what passive aggression is. The difference is, I know I'm passive aggressive. I right. like, I, I think of it as one of my character traits for better or for worse. <laughs> so St. Peter says you're in. So you're good. Okay. You're, so he yeah. says I'm in and I say, oh my gosh, please put me on the events planning committee. Oh, wow. Now you have like roles that you want. I want a job. Today. I want a job in heaven. I want um, notoriety, you know. I definitely yeah. want there to be events. There should be parties. What's your relationship to the concept of an afterlife? Like, what did you grow up with? How has it evolved? Yeah. Um, I, I grew up super religious and I still consider myself somewhat religious, which is like, which religious? Oh, I grew up Baptist. Mm. I grew up like black Southern Baptist, like a speaking in tongues, singing Negro spiritual kind of church. Um, and I, don't go to church currently, but I'd say I still believe in God and believe in, in, uh, heaven and, um, you know, all that stuff. What does it look like? A party, you know, it's a kind of party, a dinner party, a music festival, a, there's a lot of different kind of parties. That's a great question. Um, not a dinner party because I don't, I don't think you get, I don't think you get hungry in heaven. Mm. I think if you eat, it's like for fun. <laughs> um, so I am at, and I, I don't know. I feel like maybe there are different, different sections of heaven that are like the fun for that person. So like, I love that you you name all of these different kinds of parties because. I feel like I would want to be at like the music festival section. Um, and I would have all of my, all of my snacks that never end in a fanny pack. I'd imagine if we're going off the music festival, it's like, it's like pitchfork. Everyone's wearing exactly what they want, <laughs> but there are no lines. Mm. That's kind of like the VIP section of of Pitchfork. Yes, but there's no. I mean, I did say I wanted some notoriety, but I don't think I don't think anyone is like truly a VIP. I don't think there's like classes. I don't yeah, think, that is. 
you know. How confident are you in this vision? Is this a nice thing to like comfort yourself when you think about dying? Or are you like, I'm pretty sure that this is what it is? Oh, I would not say I'm sure (laughs) at all. (laughs) I, this is like, it does comfort me to think of this, but I'd say I, I don't feel like I think about the afterlife very much at all. I also don't think about dying as much as a lot of my friends who are also, you know, marginalized or uh, neurodivergent like I am. Um, Why is that, do you think? That everyone else is thinking about it a lot or that I'm or not? more that you're not. I don't know. i got a lot on my plate. There's a lot of other things to think about. If sure. Like, um, I don't know. I grew up in a, like, somewhat superstitious family despite being very religious. Like, we really believed in... I, my mom's side of the family, they always joke um, that that parts of the West Indies are 100% Catholic and, or 90% Catholic and 100% voodoo. Mm-hmm. And so, like, despite my grandpa, my grandpa on my mom's side being Catholic and playing and praying the rosary every day, he also, like, believed in ghosts. And there was always kind of like a oh, people stay around, you know, kind of feeling about it. Um, I think, like, reincarnation doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. So I'm kind of like, I don't don't think it's over. I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. I want to change directions a little bit and ask you about funeral arrangements. When you have thought about it, are there songs you want played, foods you want served, rituals you want performed, people you want there, people you don't want there? I don't know. Oh, everyone's invited. Yeah, if I don't like someone, they should definitely be at my funeral to see how sad everyone else is that I'm dead. You know, like, you were wrong. (laughs) 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 So... Everyone's invited. Truly everyone's invited. I think of the show All Our Tragic that the hypocrites did a couple of years ago. Yeah, the combination of all of the, what is it, all of the Greek tragedies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was done over the course of 12 hours and there was a lunch break. I want it to be that long. Um, I want there to be, I want there, I want there to be like a lot of live performances what kinds of live performances? Music, poetry, and not like all about me. That feels disgusting. But I think even like, at a funeral, it feels disgusting. Well, I think I mean of the twelve hours, I think probably like three should be devoted to me. What's the rest about? Well, the rest about is about like Just networking oh, people trying to. Oh, I, I would love if people were networking. On Empire or whatever. I, I would love if people were networking at my funeral. But I think it's like, I think people always talk about like how a wedding is like all of the people who love these two people who are coming together, getting to hang out. And like, I think I personally think that all the people who love me enough to show up to my funeral should 
probably get to know each other, you know? They probably have fun together. Anything else? Any other things we didn't, you, you left out? I want there to be definitely like a big gospel choir at some point. Any specific gospel choir or just a big gospel choir? I'd love, a, I'd love, I'd love like an old school black Baptist gospel choir. Any specific songs or hymns? Ooh, that's a good question. My favorite song in church growing up was At the Cross. Which one is that? How does it go? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. Yeah, pretty. I want it to be pretty, like, stereotypical old school, like, I am a sparrow, mm, you know, that kind mm, of thing. Mm-hmm. Wade in the water. Okay. Um, there was this really spooky song in church when I was a kid. How did that one go? It was like, uh, well, I mean, I guess it would be super haunting because I'd be dead. But it's like all of the, it's like all of the things that happened during the crucifixion, and they always had like the the deepest bass like carry the whole song. But it was like. And he hung his head and died. And he hung his head and died. And he hung his head and died for me. And like, it just goes on and on forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want that song to play. I mean, my, I, I've told this story on stage quite a few times now, but my great, great grandmother, during, like, uh, she lives. She lived in the Caribbean, and at the time, they froze your body instead of embalming you. Whoa! And she she bled to death. And when the sun hit her, she started bleeding again in the casket. What? It's super weird. Um, and the song that they were singing was "Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb?" And oh nobody was God. like, "Hey, let's veto this song." So that song will probably make an appearance too. <laughs> Just like a weird, yeah, not callback exactly, but reference to, yeah, like and an I Easter pref- egg, yeah, and I've done that story like a bunch of places now too. Yeah. So I think people will be like, Jesus Christ, she's talking about this again. <laughs> I mean, that's a hit, dude. That's like a banger. Thank you gotta you. use that. Usually, when I do it, I have like someone sing the song to punctuate it with me. It's very fun. What's up? It's Dave. If you like This Is Your Afterlife, you should go to thisisdavemar.com and sign up for my free newsletter, Hella Immaculate. Every week in the newsletter, I share one, a micro essay about an aspect of creativity or culture, like the creative lessons of Drag Race Thailand or the visionary anti-racism of Hoobastank. Two, a hyper-specific playlist, for example, 90s Beach Xanax or Below to Dawn set for 2008 Pitchfork Music Festival after party where I saw Julia Stiles. And finally, a few actions we can take to pour water on our world on fire. Hella Immaculate is a way for me to connect with audiences beyond live venues and across the globe. And it's the best way to learn about classes I'm teaching, podcast updates, eventual live shows, and whenever I'm typecast as a homeless addict again on a TV show set in Chicago. Again, go to thisisdavemar.com to subscribe to my newsletter, Hella Immaculate. As you may know, I'm a DIY operation, so please tell your friends. A hard vouch means everything. Back to the show. Okay, so one of the premises of the one-man show that I base this podcast on 
is that in the afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory. So by fully relive, it's not just remember in your mind, it is dropped back down into physically, emotionally, spiritually. You're not stuck in it. It's just like a room of the afterlife that you can visit whenever you want. If that were the case, what memory would you choose to relive? Yeah, I wish it was something like so dramatic, like this lovely, but I think I think I would want to just be in like a, a like a, a very pleasant day. So I think of um I think of I was probably 19 or 20, but I was in college and uh two of my friends and I had a, had a like pretty ongoing habit of just like having a sleepover Friday night. And then Saturday we would like go to IHOP and like do the day and like get ready for whatever party was that night. Cause we went to a, a big party school in a small Southern town or a big Southern town actually. But this one particular day, um, we woke up that morning and, uh, my friend Eric, he saw on his phone, or I don't remember how exactly, but that it was Hobbit day, like Lord of the Rings uh-huh. Hobbit day, yeah. which to my knowledge is not a real holiday. I've never heard of it <laughs> since. <laughs> Did it come up? You know, those, how in your Google calendar, or if you have an iPhone, your iPhone calendar, you'll just have some random fucking, like, usually it's like an Irish holiday. And you're like, what is Miramare or whatever? Is it, was it like that? Like it somehow appeared on a calendar or was it the Google doodle or what was it? How did he find out about this? I wish it was, but I feel like it was like somebody else posted on Facebook. Okay. okay. Like that somebody that only he knew, like happy Hobbit day or something. And, and was he a big Lord of the Rings fan? I love Lord of the Rings. Okay. And it's funny because the other two of us, me and my friend Alex, had never read Lord of the Rings, had never seen the <laughs> movies. But he was super, super into it. I think he was like trying to find his personal identity <laughs> at the at the time. <laughs> Were there other phases he went through? Wait, who what was his name again? His name is Eric E. Uh he Eric E? Mm-hmm. Okay. E-R-K-K-I. Um, I'll let him know when this podcast drops I'm sure he'd love this but uh he's Finnish and now now currently lives in Finland and so he found out about Hobbit Day he found out about Hobbit Day which I think is like a date that is referenced in the book is like some Hobbit birthday I want to say but we were like okay we gotta really celebrate Hobbit Day and it was like you know like a Saturday in college and you live in Tallahassee. So you're like, okay, let's make the most of it. And, uh, we were just like, okay, what do we do for Hobbit day? And we're like, okay, well, Hobbits, like they love having good food. So eating something good is part of it. They love to chill. So we're like, not going to push ourselves too hard today. (laughs) It sounds like like you found all of the criteria to just justify the kind of day you were already having. Absolutely. We did go to a restaurant that I'm sure doesn't exist anymore called Hobbit Hoagie. That was like the most. And it was uh, a hoagie restaurant. It was a hoagie restaurant. um, And it was not good, but it was like funny that we found. (laughs) Did you eat the whole meal? Uh, Yeah. I mean, how badly could they have 
really messed up a sandwich, but like Tallahassee has like great restaurants. So it was like sad <laughs> that yeah. we chose Hobbit Hoagie. Um, was it Hobbit themed inside? No, that's what's even wilder. About it just it. had the name Hobbit. The Hoagie. name was Hobbit Hoagie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're so you have to chill and eat good food, but you ate bad food. We ate bad food, but that was just one meal. I want to say we just like, but I think we sat outside. Um, I think we were definitely outside more than we would have been on another day. We like went to the park and sat under a tree. And I know we got cigars and I think that doesn't quite add up, but I think at the time we were like, we should smoke something that's not a cigarette. Gotcha, gotcha. Were you a smoker at the time, or is this you going far out of your... This was probably in that, like, year of my life that I kept a pack of cigarettes in mm-hmm. my purse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did it end? What's the... Was there, I mean, any, it was ended there a party? As any Saturday in Tallahassee did, we did go to a party. Um, I want to say... Yeah, Tallahassee was big on themed parties. I can't remember which, which, which particular theme we went to that night, but I'm sure it was silly. <laughs> so it sounds like just, I mean, this makes sense. A light, enjoyable day with friends and sensual pleasures, but with a light lay on of some celebration or planning or ritual involved yeah that's um yeah and to this day yeah that's the kind of day i love and sounds good to me well and when you went into heaven you said you wanted to be on the event planning committee but it sounds like what part of partially what made this pleasant was that someone else kind of did the planning you know now that you say so you're right (laughs) Maybe I, maybe, well, I think I also love, I love, I love a day of fun that is planned for me, for sure. And I love having been the person who planned someone else's fun day. Probably equally. Okay. Planning my own fun day. Oh, God. Gotcha. So that Venn diagram you want completely separate. The planning and the enjoying. Yes, if I can plan a series of events that someone likes, but I have to govern my, I have to steer my own ship. Jesus Christ. Okay. So my last like sort of big, heavy question, not last question, but last big question is basically what's your coma? Because for me, it was a coma. You know, I was in this coma for a month and After that, I woke up and slowly kind of shed some unhealthy parts that led to the coma, you know? And it doesn't have to be a shedding of something unhealthy. It doesn't have to look a specific way. It's just, is there a moment of transformation like that in your life where you can really point to a clear self that died or part of yourself that died? Definitely. For a second, I thought when you said, what's your coma? I thought, what do I think you see when you're in a coma? Oh, I was well, like, I'll, I'll take that answer. What do you think you see? 
nothing. Yeah, that's correct. I think you just wake up and you're like, what day is it? Mm -hmm. Is that right? That Well, yes, but also I'm a little bit resistant to any statement like, the thing about blank is blank. Where it's like, no, there's not one thing about it. That's your experience, right? So I, you know, good for the people who were able to experience out of body experiences and, and travels to other dimensions. But yeah, mine was a little bit disappointing in that, in that respect. It seems like an extension of sleep though, right? Like some people wake up and they remember their dreams every single night and some people never do. It seems like it's probably that. I don't know. You've done a lot more research than I. <laughs> well, yeah. not intentionally. <laughs> so, but, you know, in terms of not imagining that literal situation, thinking of a coma as a moment of transformation, a death and a rebirth. Definitely, definitely after I graduated from college and then I like made peace with the fact that I had to be a, a person. You know, I think I, I wrapped up so much of my identity in academia and, um, and, you know, turning in a paper and getting a grade. And I think like the transition into adulthood and like, nobody's going to grade me on getting to my job on time. I just have to do it. Um, there's no honor, there's no honor roll for like, being polite on dates, you know, like there's just, Oh shit. <laughs> was just, that a struggle? Were you like, was your, was your temptation not to be polite? on dates? No, I don't know. No, no, no. I think, um, I think my temptation was sometimes to just like leave dates. I didn't to my credit. I think you're saying dating was this way in which you confronted adulthood. So I, I, I was having, I was, I think really struggling with not being graded, not having like ongoing research projects and papers. And I was like, so depressed after college. And I remember being in my therapist's office and I was like, I'm grieving college. I'm grieving every day. I'm grieving. You know what? You know how bad it is? I get headaches every day. Every day I'm getting headaches because I'm so sad about leaving college. And she was like, do you think maybe you need glasses? And I did. And that, and I, I want to say like getting those glasses and realizing that my, like nothing is about me and I have purpose outside of making it to the end of a semester was like when I reset. And you just put on your glasses as you said that. Yeah. Just, just to model. I like it. <laughs> Got the little, what's that frame structure called? That sort cat of like, eye. the cat eye frame. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, so, so dating and then glasses were very clear symbolic markers of post-college entry into adulthood. The glasses more than the dating. Okay. And the glasses, how was it? how did they symbolize that things weren't about you? Cause in some ways that is about you. It's like, it's about your body. It's not about this global thing. It's about actually you need to pay attention to these headaches. They're telling you something. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I thought everyone was feeling this way about the end of college. 
and that it was normal. And this phrase that I invented, grieving college, was <laughs> normal. Yeah. And then to be like, no, some people need glasses and you're one of them was like <laughs> humbling. Yeah. Okay. Right. You're not so special. Or that like, you're not, you're not allowed to be this dramatic and think everyone is this dramatic about this moment in their life. So you get the glasses. Are there ways that you handled situations differently after having this realization? Probably when I shifted from optimist to pessimist. Uh, oh, no. No, I think, no, pessimism, I think, is very healthy and helpful. Um, How so? Well, you can only be pleasantly surprised. But the risk is that you'll never be pleasantly surprised. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm not a pessimist. Maybe I'm a realist. I don't know. But I, I tend to think things are going to go badly. And then when they go well, I'm like, wow, look at that. So I get to have lots of, huh, look at that all the time. Okay, so, right. This is something I can relate to of entitlement or unrealistic expectations being associated with what you're calling optimism. Yeah, yeah, that's a, you're right. You're totally right. I think, yeah, because I, well, if you want to get deep, I think I thought a lot of things that happen to women, that happen to people of color that happen to uh, people who make less money uh, didn't apply to me. And then suddenly being like out in a, like in the world, I was like, Oh yeah, they totally, they totally do. You know, like I do have, I do have some things stacked against me in terms of like, uh, thriving as an adult in the, in like the traditional sense. And like, a, I think that was like when I was like, Oh, I'm never going to be rich. <laughs> you know, even studying theater, it didn't occur to me that I would not, I don't even think be rich, but like, just, I will never be like, I will never make as much as my parents. You know, I think that realization kind of hit me, um, hard. And I think it like, yeah, it made me, one, more humble, two, more empathetic, three, more radical, <laughs> you know, like all of yeah. these things happened kind of at once for the same reason. And I think that's when I definitely started to uh, question authority in a much different way uh, to be suspicious uh to assume that my government did not have my best interest in mind in a different way it's like you're getting this pair of glasses and you're it's like some sort of like movie moment where you're now some socialist revolutionary queer like downtrodden superhero in i some mean way. pretty much yeah yeah you know my my target glasses really <laughs> right right i really stuck it to the man <laughs> Kill one thing. One thing in culture or everyday life. Ideally, it's not a huge thing. If it is a huge thing, if it's if it's war, maybe it's a specific aspect of war. If it's racism, maybe it's a specific manifestation of racism. But it can it does not have to be heavy. It does not have to be 
overly serious. It can be a, just a thing. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be violent. I'm not focused. It's not the kill. That's the important part here. It's just that one thing that you would like not to exist. I feel like, you know, on the topic of (laughs) being a a young adult socialist, I like (laughs) the first thing that came to my head was capitalism. Sure. Um, And then second was uh, Amazon. But if you kill Amazon, something else becomes Amazon. Like, humans are capable of Amazon, so there will be Amazon. So (laughs) capitalism is, like, in a a way, more specific. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, whenever... I mean, it's the same as, like, you go back in time and kill Hitler. There would have been someone else who became Hitler. There are are so many Bezoses in line, you know? (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, But... Uh, I've been listening to the podcast Nice White Parents a lot, so I think I and like I work in education, so I kind of think like the PTA. Mm, okay, what about the PTA? Why? Um, the kinds of parents who can be on the PTA typically can afford to have a parent who stays home, um, and have a lot of say in what is fundraised for and where money goes. And so the interests of uh, wealthier kids are always at the forefront because the PTA exists. Yes. So would you replace the PTA with some, this feels like an abolitionist conversation where it's like, what are the, what are the visions of the world we want that, that replace the PTA? Well, you know, probably just like a very, a well-maintained Slack channel. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime an adult has to take off of work to make the lives of their children better, that's classist. Like, uh, so if they can, if they can put in the Slack, like, Hey, maybe don't build that fence on the playground. I don't like that. Or, and then, you know, obviously in that utopia, like, Everyone has to have a smartphone, so I gotta gotta go out and get smartphones for everyone. Mm-hmm. But well, you can use the desktop. Slack. Use the desktop, or like, yeah, or the kids can bring home a piece of paper. Parents have to a printed out version of Slack. Printed out Slack. <laughs> <laughs> there are problems in my post PTA utopia for sure. I'll own that. That's okay. I didn't ask you to to rebuild the world just to destroy a part of it. So yeah, I think that's I'm okay. taking out the PTA. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Your Afterlife. That is the show. You can find Jasmine on Instagram at live.laugh.blood. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at this is Dave Marr. You can subscribe to my newsletter at thisisdaymar.com. Please take a second and rate, review even better the podcast. At least if you like the show, please subscribe. These are things that mean a lot to me. I am an independent artist, so word of mouth is like gold to me. Better than anything, if you know someone who would like whatever this is, please tell them about it. And I will talk to you next week.